Hi, everybody. Hi there. Hi, everybody. Rounding everybody up. We'll wait for a minute till uh, people register in, put on your video so we can wave and say hi. Andrew's tradition. He turned his off, but <laughs> he waved earlier. I see Dottie in her uh, uh, appearance as a Buddha. That's always good. Hi, Vicky. Is Vicky? Vicky. And uh, we'll just wait. Wait a minute more. If you have questions, you can um, either put them in the chat, or you can uh, raise your hand. We'll get working on that. And hopefully, uh, people have copies of the the book. Um, I felt like it was a little chaotic trying to do the screen sharing and then the posting. And so uh, if we have some art, I will just hold it up and you'll be able to see it as best you can see it in the, there, there's Lori has the book. There we go. Okay. And I don't know if I mentioned, uh, it's going to a seventh printing, which is very, very exciting. So um, uh, the other thing I wanted to mention was I've been invited to teach at a Montessori school to do a reading at a Montessori school. Uh, Nan is going to be away during that time in in Mich in the wilds of Michigan. So uh, I'll be uh, forest bathing. She'll by be the forest, lake. She will be forest bathing in the upper. Is it the upper peninsula of Michigan? Way up. Somewhere way up, way up there. Some, somewhere way up. Um, and so, so I've been asked to do a reading for parents at, with their three, four, and five-year-olds. <laughs> and I mentioned that last time about the questions and answers. So when, when we had the questions and answers, we had the, uh, uh, somebody asked us working with, with kids. And they had the good suggestion of... Uh, three minutes for a three-year-old and four minutes for a four-year-old, five minutes for a five-year-old. Uh, my, my friends who run the Montessori school had an addendum to that. And they, they said, for the three-year-olds, they can, they can pay attention for three breaths if you count with them or count for them. And obviously the four-year-olds even more and, and, and five-year-olds and so on. So uh, he said, it's the engagement. What they're, they're, the reason they're, they're doing this, it's actually part of a grant from um, a, um, Canadian government, the British Columbian government to try to uh, promote reading promote connections with parents and kids, especially the amount of screen time like we're doing now that has been happening during this pandemic. There's also a, a large indigenous population in British Columbia. So what, we're, what I'm gonna talk about is these stories, which, you know, we wrote new stories in this book, but they were inspired by stories that are a hundred years old 
and still fresh and still inspire people. And even now, a hundred years later, Winnie the Pooh is the most beloved character in children's literature. So the, uh, in traditional cultures, storytelling was the way that generations passed wisdom from one to another and the way that, that people gathered together. So uh, the parents reading these stories with their kids can deepen that relationship and bring in the notion of oral history and traditions and storytelling. And in the indigenous populations, uh, all of the animals had personalities, just like the Winnie the Pooh book where the animals had um, and we did poems and, and that's another reason they wanted this to be uh, me to do this reading because the poems are, if we think about it, what did we grow up with? Nursery rhymes, they rhymed. And the word rhyme and the word rhythm are very much connected. So there's a musical quality and a flow to the energy that, and all of these things we uh, somehow in our aimless wandering of writing <laughs> stories and material, uh, have been able to include that in these in the book. So, the connection to nature, which we're going to talk about in the reading today, life lessons, sharing the values with these stories, um, bridging the gap uh, in the generations, and the the parents were asking for help. Bridging the gap in spiritual education. Isn't that interesting? You're asking the teachers uh, for the values, ethics, mores, the kindful kindness and respect. Um, what We got a great review from the, um, uh, the teacher of mindfulness at Google, and he signs his, uh, his things in kindfulness. So I always, I always, I always remembered that and enjoyed it. So they'll be able to talk with them before bedtime, bond with them, read that with them, and, uh, and ask them questions about, you know, what did you think of Pooh and this, that, the other. And uh, as we talked about, the, the three-year-olds are going to go on their stream of consciousness, and it's just lovely to hear it. So, so that's what's... Uh, that's what's being inspired by this. And, and Nancy's going to uh, up into the wilds of Michigan. And we got this, this interesting Facebook post, a request. I don't know if it was, I think it was, yeah, it was Facebook. A request from a um, Unitarian minister in central Michigan asking if he could read chapter eight um, as his sermon. And we're going to be reading chapter eight today. So I just thought you'd enjoy that. Shall we begin? Yeah, one quick second, Joe. Um, is your microphone on the desk? Uh, just because oh, I'm How's that? Is that better? Yeah, a little bit closer. And also sometimes like the paper or something is hitting it. And it's no, kind of was, giving like a little rough. Yes, that was me moving the papers of my notes. Okay. I wanted to tell people. Apologies. Okay. It's all clear now. Thank you. Andy's our tech specialist. That's right. Okay, that we're ready better? to roll then. Is that better? Again? What? Yes. What? <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I got it. Okay. Are we ready? I think so. Okay. Chapter seven, 
explore your senses. If we can relax into our sense perceptions, not trying to get out, not trying to get our experiences to come out a particular way, it is possible to have a glimpse of things as they truly are. This connects us to a deeper understanding of the beauty and magic in the natural world. Now it was time for Rue to go home. So Pooh hugged his little friend and watched as Rue skipped off, singing and laughing as he went. Pooh meandered along, again letting his senses open up to everything in the Hundred Acre Wood. It made him feel very peaceful and calm. He decided to let his senses guide his choices of where to go next. Whatever he noticed that tickled him, in a pleasing way, not like a poke in the tummy, he explored more deeply. He saw a bright blue and yellow butterfly flutter by, so he followed it along the path. When it suddenly flew off in a different direction, he found himself among a stand of towering trees. The branches bent this way and that as if they changed their mind every so often as they grew. The leaves hanging down were like lots of little paws or claws reaching out toward him. The different kinds of bark on the tree trunks beckoned him to touch them. Pooh rubbed his paw against one. It felt craggy and scratchy. This reminded him of the time he had to scratch an itch on his back that he couldn't quite reach. He'd looked around for something to rub up against and found a tree with particularly rough bark. Ah, oh, mm. Pooh had sighed in relief. Just then, an acorn dropped and hit him on the head. It woke him from his daydream. He realized he had gotten lost in his thoughts and hadn't been seeing or hearing or smelling so clearly. But he didn't feel bad about it. He just made a point of recognizing that he had drifted into the past and came back to his aimless wandering in the here and now. I do better when I turn my thinking brain off so I can turn my just noticing on. Soon Pooh came upon a buzzing beehive. He mused on how lovely it would be to fill his tummy. He had heard a little rumble. His mind jumped to the future thinking, Would the bees be upset? All I have to do is touch the hive to find out, except that wouldn't be so kind to them. But how else can I get some honey? The buzz, buzz, buzz of the bees brought Pooh back to the here and now. He decided to just listen to the sound and watch them fly in circles around the hive. Being open to what might appear, he noticed, to his delight, a tiny crack at the bottom of the hive, oozing little drops of lovely golden honey. Cupping his paws underneath, Pooh patiently collected the honey. He sniffed the sweet smell as he brought his paws to his lips. Slowly and attentively, Pooh savored one delicious bit at a time. He licked his sticky paws until they weren't, and all the honey was in his tummy. Pooh was especially pleased that he could enjoy the honey without struggling so hard to get it. He thought of a special version of his caring kindness poem for the occasion. Today, I will be the best friend I can be to everyone I see, including the bees. Isn't it funny that I could get honey with nothing in mind, but just being kind? By not disturbing the bees or breaking open the hive, he fulfilled his purpose of being kind 
And somehow that made this honey taste even sweeter. So that was chapter seven. Uh, and I, I, I did, we, Nancy and I did copy a little of uh, um, A. A. Milne's using the, the way he placed the words. And so there's where it says oozing little drops of lovely golden honey. And, oh, and the bees are buzzing around the poem. There we go. That's, that's my wife Megan's touch. Okay. This is from Shambhala, The Sacred Path of the Warrior by Chungyam Trungpa. You can experience a vast realm of perceptions unfolding so many perceptions that they are beyond imagination. There are sounds that you ne have never heard. There are sights and colors that you have never seen. There are feelings that you have never experienced before. There are endless fields of perception. Guided by sense perceptions. Another approach to aimless wandering is to let your senses guide you. Let yourself become immersed in your perceptions of nature. Go deeper by exploring each sense in turn. Noticing a patch of color, you take a closer look. Hearing the sound of a stream or a particularly captivating bird call, you turn or move closer to listen. You touch sticks and stones, moss and dirt, bark and leaves. You stop to smell an aromatic tree or fragrant flower. Whether going along aimlessly or following your senses, or even while on your way somewhere, let yourself experience the magic of the present moment, appreciating perceptions, and then letting go as you move on. So we do this as uh, in a practice when we do our meditation sessions of environmental mindfulness or open awareness. We go through the sense perceptions of what we can experience, the seeing colors, shapes, shades of light and dark, hearing various sounds, um, feeling what we're feeling with our body, smelling whatever smells there are, tasting what we taste. Uh, and then in the, in the actual sitting meditation practice, you let your mind wander aimlessly among the sense perceptions. So if you, so you feel something, you go to that and explore that for a few moments or for however, however long your mind rests there. Then something that you see, something that you hear, and you can go through that way. And what this does, the purpose of this is to go ahead and um, use the tendency of the mind to wander because our mind does tend to wander. We use that tendency of the mind to wander, but we, we um, guide it and let it wander. Not so much guide it, but uh, give it the, uh, um, the particular area to wander in that is always in the present moment. And that's through the sense perceptions. Feeling. Stand, sit, or lie in your garden in a forest, in the park, or at the beach. 
you may want to bring a thin blanket or yoga mat with you if the ground is too damp or cold. Bring your awareness to the parts of your body that are in contact with the ground. Can you feel the earth supporting you? Can you relax and let yourself sink in and be part of it? Feel the air on the skin of your face and hands. Feel your body moving as your breath flows in and out. Can you feel your heart beating in your chest or your pulse in your fingertips, wrists, or neck? So this is looking deeper into that one sense perception of feeling. And Andrew has been teaching this particular meditation where you're lying down and working with meditation while you're lying down. We introduce this in the book as outside and part of nature, but you can do the same thing inside as well um, as really working with what you're feeling and how your body is moving. And, and you move your awareness from experiences of things touching you from outside, feeling the ground under you, feeling the air on the skin of your hands and face, uh, the cloth on your, sh your shoulders, your legs, uh, even the cloth, if you're, if you're lying there and your hands are on in your lap, even the cloth uh, under, you know, under your hands. Then you turn inward and start to feel your inner sensations. Feel the breath coming in, your nostrils cool and dry, going out warm and moist. Even feel the subtlety of your pulse. Tasting. You might not want to try to get honey from a beehive as Pooh did, so bring some food with you to practice tasting. Also, it's a good idea to have nourishment if you're on a long walk. You can carry a trail mix that includes raisins, nuts, or granola if you're allergic, and chocolate chips. Can you taste the saltiness of the nuts? Notice how the sweetness of the chocolate appears more vividly when it melts, and how the raisins release their flavor only when you bite into them. Important note, if you are an experienced hiker, you may be tempted to taste leaves like mint or fruit like raspberries. Please be careful to only taste what you're sure you know. Berries can look delicious, but be quite poisonous, especially smooth, bright red ones. Leaves from the oleander bush are poisonous too. Please don't try mushrooms, even if you think you know them. In the same way, please be careful to identify and avoid touching plants like poison ivy, oak, or sumac. So we wanted to make sure that we put that in there. <laughs> so, so somebody, you know, we, we hear, I try, I got your book and I tried feeling and tasting and I got covered in poison ivy and, and got sick from, you know, no, we didn't want any of that. So there, those are our disclaimers. And it's, now, it's forest bathing, not forest foraging. Yes, yes that's right. Exactly. So um, <clears throat> now I think that you'll find this uh interesting and that is how our sense perceptions relate with one another and i've talked about this before in other classes but our sense perceptions uh over the 2000 years of meditation meditators have discovered that the sense perceptions are like a rabbit I, i'm sorry a monkey in a room with six windows 
and the monkey jumps from one window to the next, but it can only look out one window at a time. So whatever sense perception is in the foreground, all the others go to the background. It seems like we can go pretty fast between two of them, but not much more than that. For example, if you're looking at me in your device and listening to my voice, you're going from listening to looking, listening to looking. You think you're doing both at the same time. You're just going back and forth very, very fast. Now, the cool thing about this with regard to tasting is it's important not to be doing anything else because if you're doing something else, it your senses go back and forth and you're not really, really tasting. Uh, Nancy and I uh, worked on a diet book. And one of the things that we discovered that's really important to enjoy your food the most is after each bite to set your utensils down. If you're still holding them, you're kind of doing something in the feeling and action mode comes into your mind and the taste goes to the background. It's, the, it's for the same reason that people when they're tasting a fine wine or, or the, that they close their eyes so that they're not looking at something while they're tasting. You can just focus their sense perceptions. So, so explore that and notice and, and see. It's another reason why not to talk on a cell phone while you're driving because your attention is going back and forth from listening to thinking to seeing and that's why you missed your exit last time. Chapter eight, you have everything you need. One of the primary principles of the mindfulness tradition is that the true nature of human beings is basic goodness, the simple appreciation of being alive. It is a perspective of richness and wholeness that nothing in our fundamental being is flawed or missing. Mindfulness helps us recognize basic goodness as our own nature and develop unconditional confidence. Thinking about being kind brought Piglet to Pooh's mind. And since he had promised to visit him around mid-morning, off he went toward Piglet's house. Although he was now going somewhere in particular, he could still practice just noticing on the way. He heard a cheep cheep sound on one side of the path. There in a nest of leaves and twigs, a mother bluebird fed three hungry babies. Who turned when he heard the scritch scratching sound of two squirrels playing a spirited game of chase scurrying up, down, and all around a tall oak tree. On he went, taking in the sights, sounds, and smells of the wood. Piglet was waiting outside as Pooh arrived. Whenever the two met, they liked to play the welcome game of here and now. So Pooh asked Piglet, What time is it? It's now. My favorite time. And where are we? We're here. My favorite place. What are you doing today? It's more like what I'm not doing. Oh, I see. Although he didn't really. Then, then what are you not doing today? I'm aimless wandering, just noticing what's here and now as I go on the way to nowhere in particular. Care to join me? Oh, dear. You know how hard it is for me to try new things. I'm certain I wouldn't get it right. 
I'd better let you do the aimless wandering for both of us. It wouldn't be too much trouble. You feel like it's hard to try, but it isn't so hard to not try. And that's what just noticing is. And you're certain that you won't do it the right way. But there is no getting aimless wandering wrong since there isn't any right or wrong way to go. But, but what if I can't just notice? No need to worry. You have eyes and ears and nose and such, and that's all you need to just notice. If you get a bit muddled in thoughts, seeing, hearing, smelling, or feeling will wake you up. But, 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 but what if I forget to be here and now? No need to fret. It happens to everyone. Once in a while, your thoughts may carry you away to there and then, or to where and when, but your heart is always here and now. So Piglet, you have everything already inside you, all that you need to just notice, to be here and now, as we wander aimlessly along. And Pooh made up a little encouraging poem on the spot. Oh, Piglet, you can do it. There's really nothing to it. You have everything you need. I'm quite certain you'll succeed. Well, Pooh, if you believe in me, then maybe I can too. Just then, Piglet stood a little straighter and held his head a little higher. I feel more confident already. Thanks, Pooh. You are a very good best friend indeed. This is from Shambhala, The Sacred Path of the Warrior by Chugyam Trungpa. Confidence is an attitude that makes the seemingly unworkable workable. This doesn't mean that all of a sudden everything is going to go our way, but it does mean that we believe we have the resources to live in the challenge. That is the expression of courage. Building your practice. How can a mouse eat an elephant? One bite at a time. So start small, but do start. Practice one minute of mindfulness for one day, then two minutes for two days, three minutes for three days, and so on. Once you've done 10-minute sessions for 10 days, add a second session later in the day. Build your second session one minute at a time as you did the first until you are doing both sessions for 10 minutes each day. You can extend your sessions further if you'd like. It's good to break up longer sessions with a few minutes of walking mindfulness between every 20 minutes of sitting. So this is something that Andrew and I have talked about a lot before in our tradition. It said uh, it's best to practice uh, many short periods rather than try to just gut it out for one long one. And so this is a way for people to build up their practice. And, and the, the benefit of it also is you, you don't just go further because it feels good. You actually stop when you've set the time to stop. And this is more important than you think. The reason is if you stop when you set the time to stop, you go, oh man, I was just getting into it. I can't wait till, we, till I, it's time to do it again. But if you go longer, you go, oh, when will this end? Oh, I'm glad that's done. I don't know if I want to do that again. See, so the other thing is 
if you're doing it based on how good it feels, that's really not the idea of the practice. So you say, well, I, you know, I'm kind of into it. I'm feeling good. I think I'll practice longer today. Well, you know, really busy mind, lots of thoughts. I think I'll stop early today. That's a slippery slope. You don't want to go down that because, <clears throat> excuse me, the idea is if you are able to, if you're able to say, you know, good and bad are included, it's part of the practice. So working with a busy mind is something that you train yourself in and work with that. And you say, okay, you know what? That's part of the practice. Uh, if it doesn't seem like it's going that well, don't get depressed. If it's going great, don't get too excited. And the reason is everything changes. Continuing your practice. Mindfulness practice shouldn't be thought of as something you do on an as needed basis. It's like taking an aspirin if you get a headache. It's better to regard it more like brushing your teeth, something you do regularly a couple of times a day. So it's important to establish an intention to be as steady as you can about practicing. Please be kind to yourself, not negatively judgmental, if you need to change your practice time or even miss a day. Think of it as trying to be consistent without being rigid. It's helpful to set yourself up in a place that's relatively quiet where you won't be disturbed for the length of your session. Choosing a particular time of day to practice is also helpful. First thing in the morning is a good time to schedule a session. Sitting yourself down before doing anything else is much easier, especially for beginners, than stopping your activities midday. It also sets a good tone of mindfulness for the day, encouraging you to be as fully present as you can during your various daily activities. So this is something that we've talked about of, um, of making it regular, but not rigid. And that's, uh, that's very helpful. Um, I remember with uh, one of my teachers, Trunga Rinpoche, I was there sitting there and one of his students came in and said, you know, I'm really having difficulty with my practice. I just can't seem to make any progress. And, and I keep missing days and missing days and missing, you know, and, and I find other things to do. It's like, it's, uh, I need something to get me more consistent. And Trang Rinpoche, Tibetan teacher said, you need rutin. And the, the student said, oh yeah, where, I, I, where do I get some? Uh, I'll take the rutin if you can get some for me, you know, where do I get it? And he said, no, no, routine. Like first you do this, then you do that, then you do this. And the guy said, oh, routine. Oh, got it. Okay. <laughs> he was hoping there was a magic substance called routine that would suddenly make his life disciplined. No, he needed to get some routine. <laughs> routine. All right. Supporting your practice. Inspiring images are traditionally used as supports for practice. It might be a statue of a meditator, a flower arrangement, or a picture of a peaceful nature scene or landscape, such as the one you've chosen for your aimless wandering practice. You can select a meaningful quote or short poem, like one of Pooh's, to print on a card and keep near you while you practice, or on your desk at work as a mindfulness reminder during the day. 
Some people include a background of soft and soothing sounds when they practice. Ocean waves, a babbling brook, gentle rain, peaceful forest sounds, or wind chimes create an atmosphere of serenity. By the way, in the background, I'm, I'm playing on my TV a YouTube of the sing, Tibetan singing bowls, a six hour YouTube of singing bowls. It's so soothing. Certain scents can be calming, like those of fragrant flowers, essential oils, or mild incense. Now, the thing with incense, you have to be a little bit careful. Um, I did the three-year retreat, uh, a different sequence than Andrew did, but we, we lived in very small room. Each of us had a small room, like an eight by 10 room. And I found a way to entertain myself by getting different kinds of incense. I was going to try, oh, this one smells like this and that one smells like that. And I was burning incense and burning incense. And, well, at a certain point I go, am I get, at the end of the day, am I getting a cold? Oh no. And I'd go to bed and wake up the next morning and I was fine. By the end of the day, again, I was all stuffed up. I had made myself allergic to incense. And I love the smell of incense. So don't overdo it with the essential oils or the fragrances or, or the incense. Just a personal note of warning. Many people find it supportive to practice with others. Look for opportunities to join in open sessions of group mindfulness practice. You can also, also gather your family for mindfulness practice and kindness practice, perhaps on a weekly basis. And, and we have the Monday night sessions that we've been doing. And I also have a, uh, a mindfulness session every two weeks at noon on Wednesdays. Um, you can let me know if you're, in, you're welcome if you're interested in joining that as well. Many, um, before you begin a practice session, it can be helpful to read or listen to a passage from an inspirational book like this or, or a teaching. Uh, and, I, I, and there's a teaching I wanna mention when we get to one of the questions. After your practice, writing down insights about your thoughts and feelings supports your awareness throughout the day. Reviewing your notes each evening as part of your daily reflection guides you in setting your intentions for the next day. Now, this is an interesting question that has come up People say, uh, I knew somebody who kept a pad with him, pad and pen, right next to him when he meditated. So that if he thought of, got a bright idea and thought of something, instead of going, oh, I don't want to forget that and keep running it through his mind, uh, he would write it down. Well, I have mixed feelings about that. On the one hand, yes, you've got it out of your mind, you, you've written it down. And I have a, a pad by my bed um, besides writing down my dreams, uh, which I do occasionally, not as regularly as Andrew does, but occasionally, um, I, uh, I also, if I think of something like in the really early morning, I don't want to be tossing around, my, around and worried that I'm going to forget it. So I'll write it down. The problem with doing that in meditation is it actually invites more thoughts. And then you get into a cycle where you're thinking and writing and thinking and writing. Now, what you can do, what you can do is do a period of 
tranquility meditation, a basic mindfulness of the breath, uh, essentially a non-thinking somewhat. And Pooh has his not thinking log that he goes and sits on, his not thinking spot. So you do that, but you have the intention that you're going to use that as a basis because there's something that you want to think through. And you say, and then at the end of my session, after 15 minutes, I'm going to take five minutes and just be open to thinking and say, okay, and I have my pad and my pen then and say, okay, anything interesting that comes up, you're invited. And it's a kind of contemplative practice that you can do of inviting insight because you've done tranquility. You know, it's like a lake that when it's, when the wind uh, stirs it, the white caps mean you can't see through to the bottom. And the mind is the same thing. When it's stirred by emotions and a lot of discursive thinking, uh, you, insights don't appear. But when the mind is quieted, there's an opportunity for, oh, things come up. They bubble up and you go, oh, that's pretty good. You can write it down. And you can, you can choose a particular topic to pay attention to. But it's really important to separate those out and not say, well, I'm going to write down my thoughts during the mindfulness practice. Better to wait. And you know what? Tell yourself, if it's really important, it will come back. Perhaps the most important support for your practice is maintaining a positive attitude. Some days it will be easier to be mindful in meditation and in action. Other times it will feel like your mind is completely overrun by thoughts. Remember that the ups and downs will come and go. When your practice or any other aspects of life are difficult, a positive attitude and broader perspective will prevent you from getting discouraged and inspire you to keep going forward. And definitely that applies to your meditation practice as well as your everyday life. I think we'll do one more chapter and then we'll do our questions and answers, okay? Chapter nine, forest bathing. Immersing yourself in the serene atmosphere of a nature walk can be an enlightening experience. Deeply settling in your body and breathing allows busy thoughts to subside. Once attuned to your senses, you have access to a clearer, more direct quality of perception. So this title, Forest Bathing, is what the inspiration that we had, uh, that an editor at Disney had to invite us to write the book. Uh, she had, uh, we talked about this in the first, I think at the beginning, that she'd seen an article on NPR um, and knew that uh, Nancy had worked a lot on Pooh and also had a brother who taught mindfulness. So maybe she was sitting and just contemplating and the idea clicked. Piglet proudly announced, I'm ready now, Pooh, to do some aimless wandering and just noticing. How do we start? We start at the beginning, which is where we are. Sometimes we think about the past and the future, but the earth is always here and now. So we need to get grounded in our bodies by feeling the earth under us. A little beyond Piglet's front door, Pooh noticed a patch of moss. 
let's lie down and do some grounding practice. And here we have them <laughs> lying down and doing the grounding practice. Just let yourself sink in. Let yourself be as heavy as you can be. Feel like you are part of the earth and the earth is part of you. Then you're not very little piglet on great big earth. You piglet are as big as the world. Then Pooh sat up and said, Now let's count each breath. In and out one, in and out two, for a few minutes to help us be better at paying attention and noticing when we're not. Let's do that together, along with Pooh and Piglet. Let's take a pause right here. That was seven, that's as high as Pooh can count. Soon Pooh wanted to try something else. Now, close your eyes really tight and put your hands over your ears. We'll each count to three. Then we'll open our eyes and uncover our ears and pretend that we've never seen or heard anything before. All right, let's, let's all do that, okay. <clears throat> Wow. Wow, that was fun. The two friends counted down together. Three. Three, two, one. one now. now. When they looked and listened, the colors were brighter and the sounds were more vivid. How amazing. When they stood up to start aimless wandering, Piglet asked, which way shall we go? In aimless wandering, we go nowhere in particular, so there isn't a way we should go. But since there are two of us, and we'd rather not wander too far apart, let's let our senses guide us. Should I follow you? Let's take turns. And when one of us notices something, we can point it out to the other. As they started walking, Pooh said, Look, look. Then Piglet said, Listen, listen. And on they went, dancing back and forth as the wood revealed its natural magic. When they came to a stream, Pooh started to slosh alongside it. Piglet followed, the cool mud squishing under his feet. What fun! Indeed. They followed the stream as its gentle current flowed over, under, and around rocks of different shapes and sizes. A bright yellow leaf tossed and turned as it floated along, flipping over and back again. Sometimes the water swirled in little eddies, other times it ran straight ahead. At one point, the stream took a bit of a rest and flowed gently into a deep pool 
giving passersby a chance to visit when it wasn't in such a hurry. Pooh and Piglet sat down on the bank and dangled their feet in the clear, cool water. Ooh, doesn't that feel good? Mm. After a while, they stood up, shook the water off their feet and started walking again. Piglet noticed a patch of flowers, bushy purple lavender, wild red roses, and springy yellow chamomile. He was captivated, captivated by the brilliant colors and walked among them. Pooh followed, and they both leaned closer to smell the blooms. The perfumes were intoxicating. Piglet closed his eyes and breathed in deeply. These flowers are making me feel the teensiest bit sleepy. Lavender, wild roses, and chamomile, I believe. It could be their soothing quality that's making us feel calm and relaxed perhaps just a little lazy. How lovely. Indeed. And Pooh composed a relaxation poem. When we're grounded and at ease, we can wander where we please. With our senses as our guide, we can let our thoughts subside. And then while away the hours by the stream among the flowers. And so Pooh and Piglet, feeling grounded and aware, practiced just noticing as they let their senses lead them through the wood, immersed in sights, sounds, sensations, and smells, and experiencing them all as if for the first time, they felt renewed. So that was fun. That was fun. I, um, I like doing that one, two, three and then opening our eyes and everything's new. And, and I, I realized when I, when I showed you that picture of, the, uh, of Pooh and Piglet lying on the moss, when we were doing the last chapter, the chapter eight with the walk in, you know, um, you have everything you need, I was getting a little teared up. Um, you know, when, when Pooh was saying, Piglet, you already have everything inside you. Um, I, I was getting, you know, getting a little moved. And I forgot to show you the picture of when, when Piglet was feeling a little more confident. So cute. So cute. So that was them doing their forest bathing. This is from the book, The Sky and Earth Touched Me by Joseph Cornell. Forest bathing or Shinrin Yoku is the Japanese practice of going to the forest to receive mental and physical healing. When we walk through a forest, nature's benevolence flows into us as sunshine flows into trees. Beneath soaring pines and giant spreading oaks, thoughts naturally become expansive and harmonious. As you breathe in and out, be aware of how interconnected you are with the forest and of the reciprocal relationship all beings have with one another. In the mindfulness tradition, oh, I forgot that I wrote this. It was something I explained earlier. <laughs> In the mindfulness tradition, the perceiving mind is likened to a monkey in a room with six windows. That's my impatience, sorry. The monkey can only look out one window at a time. 
In the same way, when a given sense perception is in the foreground of your consciousness, it becomes your main experience. All the other senses go to the background. We're familiar with the five senses of sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch. So what is the sixth window? It is the perception of our own thoughts. When thinking is in the foreground, all the other senses go to the background. When thinking subsides, the other senses emerge more vividly. Smelling. Like Pooh and Piglet, after doing some grounding practice to settle your mind, explore your sense of smell. Notice familiar and new fragrances. Do you recognize any herbs? What qualities do you smell? Fresh or musty, flowery or acrid, minty, sweet, pungent, earthy, resinous. Take a leaf or small piece of tree bark and crush it between your fingers. It may smell stronger. Is the smell in, uh, different in any other way? Important note, when walking in the forest, know the plants of your region so you can avoid ones like poison ivy, oak, or sumac. If in doubt, don't touch. Uh, one of my favorites going for a walk is rosemary. You know, you mm -hmm. see it and you could even put your nose right next to the plant. There's a little bit of smell, but you crush a little of that in your fingers. Woo! It really, it rocks you. What smells do you find pleasing, neutral, or unpleasant? How do scents affect you? There's a field called aromatherapy that talks about the positive effects of aromas from plant essences on our nervous system, emotions, and overall health. Deep in the forest, surrounded by trees, you can almost smell the oxygen they emit in exchange for the carbon dioxide they absorb. Soaking in the healing atmosphere of the forest, bathing in a swirl of sense perceptions, you'll feel you'll likely feel a profound peacefulness, a deep appreciation, and a natural gratitude for the beauty of nature. So this is something that, that's actually been uh, promoted as part of forest bathing, that it's uh, a combination of mindfulness and aromatherapy. So um, that's, that's really what they're trying to do in Japan in, work, in working with this as a healing healing thing. So that, that business about thinking being the sixth window, we do, we perceive our thoughts. And, and that's really the thing. When we are caught up in thought, and one of my teachers said, you know, the instruction for meditation and everything you do in your life is don't let your mind take the shape of your thoughts. The idea is that you have thoughts, but you are not your thoughts. Mostly we identify with them. We have the thought and we go, well, if I'm thinking it, it must be true. And if I'm thinking I should do something, I should do it. But we can have some space. We can take, you know, like looking at a painting, you step back to get a good look at it. The painting exists, but it exists in a bigger space. Well, the thoughts are the same. They exist, but they exist in a bigger space, the space of your mind. So you can choose rather than react. If, you, if your mind takes the shape of the thought, you have no choice but to react. But if your mind is bigger and you recognize the thought as something as an appearance arising in your mind, then you have a choice of how you respond to that appearance. 
Just because you think it does not make it so. Well, good. So those are our uh, chapters. And let's uh, do the questions. The there's one that came in earlier. And I just got to, uh, I just got to bring it up here. There it is. Okay, this is from Eris. Hello, Joseph and Nancy Parent. Hello. I really enjoy your book with all the adventures of Winnie and mindfulness. I keep hearing Winnie saying, I am kind to myself first. He is gentle and soft to himself when he makes a mistake and nice to himself to eat honey. You've talked about loving kindness. Is there also a self-compassion meditation which I can do? Yes, there is. Uh, and I've asked uh, Andy, he's posting it right now. Now, in our earlier class on the chapter, let's see, it's chapter four, Kind-Hearted and Caring. On page 24 in the book, um, should be around 24. The first practice is this one, the caring kindness practice for yourself. So that's the, that's the first practice and that matches what we were just talking about, the, that you start with yourself. And it includes uh, saying, my nature is goodness, I deserve peace and happiness. One of the challenges is we don't necessarily believe that. So it helps to say it and to do the practice that absorbs any negativity into a sense of light in your heart center uh, that instantly transforms it into the opposite. So if you're feeling um, guilt, then you breathe that in and it transforms and you radiate out to yourself a feeling of forgiveness. If you feel frustrated, breathe out to yourself a feeling of acceptance or patience. All of those things are ways that you can change. And um, I, so in addition to that practice where you actually exchange the negativity in yourself for positivity, it is based on a belief that your nature is wakefulness and, and what we call in the Shambhala tradition of base, basic goodness. So that that is always your nature and everything else is the overlay. Too often we have things backward. And we really think that confusion and negativity is our nature we haven't even gotten to the Eeyore chapter yet, but confusion and negativity is our nature and that we have to bring in, we have to, we have to get some goodness, like getting some root in, you know, we have to get some goodness and put it, put it in us. But the, you know, that, that is really, it ha it's things backwards. In fact, we talk about the, the way we appear to ourselves as a costume. I think I talked about, I might've talked about it last time that scene in the movie Cocoon when they peel back their, so their, 
appearance as human beings and they're aliens made of light. And, and we're more like that, this ba basic light and wakefulness. Um, I, I, I use this teaching in the Buddhist tradition of uh, this goodness not being recognized. One of the metaphors is a gold statue covered with clay. And I tell the story of a, a young person who thinks they have a clay statue uh, and they spend all their extra time earning money to have it gold plated so it'll look nicer. And their grandparents come back and say, oh, you never had to do that. Look, you gently just had to remove the clay and reveal the solid gold statue you possessed all along. So if we understand that we're, what we experience of negativity is just clay on top of the gold. It's uh, our nature. There's so many metaphors like that, like a crystal ball covered in soot. The, the soot can never stain the crystal. It doesn't get inside it. As soon as it's cleaned off, boom, the crystal is there. The sun and the clouds, the sun of goodness and wakefulness and kindness is always shining from our hearts. Now, we can make it a pretty cloudy day but, and think that there's no sun there, but it is, it's always there. You don't have to create a new sun in front of the clouds. It's a, it's a matter of gently parting the clouds. That's what you need to do. Now, this uh, teaching from Thich Nhat Hanh is, an, is another practice that you can do. And it's a contemplative practice. You actually say things like, um, I deserve kindness, others deserve kindness. And what he talks about in, in this article is saying that for yourself. And then, and then once you've done enough of that for yourself, I forgive myself. I am basically good. I forgive myself for my mistakes. I deserve honey. <laughs> I deserve that. And Pooh especially deserved it when he didn't try to get it by cracking open the hive, but just decided he, that would be wrong to harm the bees. He would just wait and watch and it appeared. So you do that first and what comes naturally and what Thich Nhat Hanh teaches after that is then you find somebody that it's easy to want to extend that love and kindness to. Mm -hmm somebody that you love, that you want to have kindness. Then as you get better at that, you include people that you feel okay about, and then people that you don't have any particular feeling about, and eventually people that bug you. And then you work with that and extend that kindness. And as soon as you encounter somebody that bugs you, you have to start again with yourself and forgive yourself for being bugged and then forgive them for whatever they're doing that bugs you. And so it's a, a very much a give and take on that one. So I think you'll find that interesting to read that article. It, it, it actually contains a lot of interesting things about how we experience the sequence of things we experience of uh, the sense of self and other then whether we like something or don't like it then more detailed qualities of it until we
develop a whole storyline about why this person's so good and that person's not so good. It reminds me of uh, a time when I was in retreat um, and there was a, did I tell this story last time? I'm, I'm getting classes confused. I might've told it in the meditation class. Uh, there was a, there was a guy who recently passed away. I just saw a notice about that, but it, so it made me, it reminded me of that. Uh, we had periods where we did group practice and in group practice, sometimes we would do a recitation or we would count breaths or something. And we would have a, uh, what's called a mala. Hang on a second. It's a, a rosary, essentially, a string of beads like that. You can see the beads there. And you count them like that by moving them through on your thumb. Boom, 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 boom. There, that's like that. Well, this, this guy in the practice, he had one twice this big, same number of beads, twice as big, huge wooden beads. And each time he would go, he would go click, 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 click. It was driving me nuts. It was driving me crazy. And I was going, oh, when is he going to stop? Oh, please. Well, uh, you know, we're in those retreats because we're Buddhists, not Buddhas, which means that we're aspiring to be more wakeful. And there was a guy in there who was kind of a jerk. And he passed me a nasty note about something I did. And it was very upsetting. So this guy who clicks the beat, who does the beat, he, was, he came over and he saw I was upset and he comforted me. And he said, don't worry about that guy. He's just a jerk, you know, forget it. Don't take it personal. And he really made me feel better. And the next time we had group practice, I heard click, click, click. But now it was, oh, that's my friend. Oh, I'm so glad he's there. And suddenly that wasn't so irritating. So it's interesting how appearances change based on our attitude toward them. So I wanted to, I wanted to share that story with you. So, so you can work with uh, those practices. It's a, it's a beautiful little article. Um, and I love Thich Nhat Hanh's teachings. So it's a contemplative compassion, self-compassion practice. Let's go on. Nan, have you done any of that, that uh, practice? You do it, you've read a lot of Pema's books, right? No. <clears throat> have you found that helpful? Oh yeah, I, I love her. I love what she has to say. Um, and then, and also uh, I think a nice way to think about it too is to be your to be your your own best friend and think about how your friend would talk to you and you talk to yourself in the same way because a friend would not be verbally beating you up and telling you you're horrible and shaming you and all of that but would be saying being kind to you and that's the voice that you want to play and say to yourself that's great yeah that 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 reminds me of a, uh, um, in my golf book, I have a chapter called Fire Your Evil Caddy. And people just 
they say not nice things to themselves on the golf course. <laughs> they hit a bad shot. They go, oh, you jerk. What an idiot. And I said, how long would you keep a, a caddy around how, or a friend or somebody you played golf with if they said that to you after every bad shot? You're a jerk. You ought to quit. You know, this is really stupid. You're really dumb. You, you, that, you wouldn't hang out with that person for very long. So, um, Nan, that's a great point. That's great. Listen to how you talk to yourself and talk to yourself, you know, um, just say, oh, oh, well, let's do it as an exercise. Okay. You can all do this with, we, we, we don't have to unmute, but you can, you can do it as an exercise. Okay. So I want you to picture um, one of your friends who feels badly that they did something wrong and you want to comfort them. Okay. So I want you to put their name in. Um, that's okay, Bob. Everybody makes mistakes. So we're going to say that sentence, put their, put your really visualize your friend's name and put it in the, um, in the sentence after that's okay. Okay, so we'll all say it together. That's okay, That's okay. Bob. Everybody, Everybody makes, mistakes. makes mistakes. Right? Let's do it one more time Be, with some enthusiasm. You're really trying, as if you're really there with your friend and trying to comfort them. Okay, ready? That's okay, That's okay Bob. Bob. Everybody, Everybody makes, makes mistakes. mistakes. Good. How did that feel? Probably feels pretty good that you could be that comforting and, and generous. Okay, so now um, we're gonna say the same thing, same sentence, but put your name in there after that's okay. All right, here we go. That's okay, Joe. Okay, everybody everybody makes, makes mistakes. Now you might've said that with a, I'm guessing a little less enthusiasm. <laughs> a little less enthusiasm. That's harder. It's, you know, we, we're hard, we give ourselves a hard time and we don't give ourselves a break. But for somebody else, oh, it's, hey, that's okay. Everybody makes mistakes and you feel good and you're enthusiastic and you go, oh, that's okay, Joe, everybody makes mistakes. Yeah, no, I don't believe that. I, I'm not allowed to do that. You see, so it's a really good exercise to see the difference. So thank you, Nan, that's, that's perfect. That's great. I, I also I had a yoga teacher who um, did a podcast about this because she said it was almost like it was habit forming. Mm. The negative talk, the negative tape in your head, it was like a habit that you kept playing over and over again. That is a really interesting point. And, and I, I want to address that as well. Why do we do that? Where does that come from? Okay. Well, it's reinforcing as a habit because there's something in psych that in psychology they call secondary gain. You feel bad hearing yourself say these things to yourself, but you feel good saying them because you've done a good job punishing yourself. Now, what, why, would that, why would that feel good? Okay, when you were really, really little and you took your first, and we're just learning how to take your first steps, 
if you took your first steps, oh, you got applause. Oh, you're so wonderful. And you go, you take your, you know, it's almost, if you could bow as a one-year-old, you would <laughs> bow, you know, oh, hey, hey, yeah, I'm great. Okay. Now, if you fall down, they go, ah, that's okay. Don't worry about it. No, you'll be, you'll be fine. You're okay. And you go, well, dress yourself off and away you go. Okay. Now, as you get older and you learn and you know how to walk, you walk into the room, nothing. You get no applause. Hey, where's, where are my fans? <laughs> I used to get applause for this. Now you're expected to do it right. Okay, catch, that's very important. You're expected to do it right. And if you fall down, then you get criticized. Watch what you're doing, watch where you're going, don't be so clumsy, all of those negative things. And you get the message, well, my parents care about me. And so they're doing this because I need to be uh, chastised. I need to be told some, that I'm bad so that I won't make, and they even tell you, I'm only doing this so you won't make the mistake again. And you get this message, okay, so I make mistakes, I should be punished so that I won't do it again. Well, when your parents aren't around, this is called socialization. When your parents aren't around, you take on the job. And you say, okay, they're not here. I just made a mistake. Somebody's got to punish me. I, I volunteer. <laughs> and you take on the job. And then you say, you beat the crap out of yourself. And you feel terrible for doing it. But you also feel good because you did a really a good, good job. <laughs> really good job. So you don't just beat yourself up a little, you just pound it, right? Because so your parents will be really proud of you <laughs> at what a good job you did at punishing yourself so that you won't make that mistake again. The problem is you got that reward for punishing yourself. So you do make the same mistake again and it is, becomes an addiction and a, a self-fulfilling you know, <laughs> self prophecy yeah. cycle. Huh. Yeah, how about that, huh? Okay, um, uh, Kirsten, I see you. I want to just do, uh, this came in earlier. Um, you've talked before about the way senses cooperate um, or compete, actually. Can you say a few words about that relating to the activity of playing the piano, which requires a constant translation of signs you see into sound and the sound you hear internally into motion and touch? I, I have to defer to Andrew, who is a trained classical pianist. And it, um, I don't know if he is still sitting in on the class. If he's there, I'd love for him to jump in. But um, I, I, the last time I played piano, I think it was when I was 12. And that was a long time ago. <laughs> So I don't know how that would translate, but I, I believe, you know, based on what we just talked about on the principle of it, um, the mind can move very, very fast. So uh, it goes from seeing to the, the um, translating the sign signs and the signs, I think 
it's interesting. I don't know as a musician whether you hear the sound based on, I think as a more accomplished musician, you would hear the sound as you read the note in the, in the, uh, on the sheet music. I remember as an unaccomplished musician, I would <laughs> see the note, translate that into the letters, C sharp, B flat, A sharp, D, and the letter would translate into the key that I saw, and then my, my hand would go toward that key. As you can tell, it was not that melodic. <laughs> but that's what happens when it's all that, that mechanical that it's going from one to the other, to the other, to the other, to the other, and, and going like that. I believe that as an accomplished musician, you would hear the note that you saw on the sheet music. If you can play by play, if you're good enough to play as you read, um, that's, what, that's what I would think. But in any case, we know for sure that it is the sense perception, a primary one plus background ones. They don't all go away. There's a primary one and then background ones and they go back and forth. So right now I'm going, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say. I'm saying it every now and again, I hear the gongs for in the, uh, from the sound in the other room. And it just, my mind goes there and comes back in one sixtieth of a second. That, that's theor, that's a, it's, that's a metaphor, but that's what they said. There are 60 impressions per second. So that's pretty fast. And I think that, again, that's a metaphor. It's probably at least that many. Um, so I, I would ask Andrew next chance you get on that one. That'd be good. Uh, Tim says, I like the be here now theme. Can you say a few more words about that? The uh, just a couple, and then we're gonna take uh, Kristen, um, uh, Kirsten. Sorry, not Kristen. Kirsten. Um, the be here now. As soon, whenever I see it, especially in quotes, I think of Ramdas, and that was his book, and one of the first spiritual books I read. Nineteen sixty nine. I'm guessing maybe seventy something like that. So yes, uh, about 50 years ago. Um, and basically it was not doing things the way conventional society does them uh, in which we're always ahead of ourselves. What's next, what's next, what's next, what's next? You can barely, you, you know, they even do it when you're watching television uh, they scroll along the bottom, coming up next. You know, you go, geez, could you just let me watch this without making me think about what's next? But that's what we do. And we are, we're kind of hardwired to anticipate and think about what's next. So there's a lot of momentum there um, from prehistoric times. We, you know, if you didn't anticipate the trouble, if you anticipated the trouble and your friend didn't, you got away and he didn't, and he's out of the gene pool. So, you know, they say, you don't have to outrun the bear, you just have to outrun your buddy. Um, so, so, so you, um, 
So we, we are bred in that way to anticipate, particularly to anticipate danger. Now, the idea of be here now, this again goes with what the default mode is. If you, unless you have a time machine in your backyard, the location of your body in space is always here. The location of your body in time is always now. But your mind is a time machine. And it goes to the past and the future and it goes elsewhere in the present. So be here now simply means that your body and mind are synchronized in the present moment. But you're always there. As soon as you come back from a daydream, you're already, you don't have to say come back to the present. You're already present. You woke up. In the same way in the morning, when you wake up from a dream, you're awake. Now, if you wake up in the dream, that's a whole nother thing. So that metaphor doesn't hold. But when you wake up in the morning from sleep, you're awake. You don't have to think, I should wake myself up. You woke up. Same thing. You are already here now. Now, at that moment in our mindfulness practice, it's what we come back to is what we had chosen to pay attention to. Do you remember what you were doing? Simple as that. So, um, uh, next time I'll, I'll tell the story about someplace else. So Kirsten, I gotta make a note of that. Okay, Kirsten, can okay. you unmute? Yeah, I'm unmuted. Hi, yes, <laughs> we hear you. Um, uh, your comments about the art our chastising ourselves reminded me of a course that I took um, that was presented by an improv actor. And of course, in improv, you have to be really in the moment so that you respond to what's really going on. And one of the exercises, which I it took me a while to get used to, and it's very much in keeping with what we're talking about, is you, there, there was one exercise where we had to pass a ball around and you know say something about yourself and then about the other person and you had to respond in the right whatever the rules were they were simple but they required instant attention and then and it was impossible to not mess up i mean every few people somebody screwed up and part of the instruction was that we had to throw our hands up and say hooray mistake so instead of being you know, angry with yourself or frustrated with yourself, you know, sort of like, oh yeah, I'm done. Now I can move back. And it, it, it was such an awakening to me in terms of just letting go of, of oh, I made a mistake. I didn't do it right. So it, just a thought. I, well, I just lovely. thought it was so fun. That's, that's, that's lovely. Great. Thank you for sharing that. I think that that's mm -hmm. That's great. You know, it's kind of like the practice of going against the grain, uh, which is uh, very much part of the tradition of contemplative practice of exchanging self for others, that um, uh, when, when you're in a situation, the habitual reaction is to blame someone else. And so we go, we go against the grain and say, okay, I'm going to take the blame. Mm -hmm. Even if I don't think it's my fault, I'm going to take the blame. 
And I was just reading uh, this lovely piece. Uh, um, it's a question and answer section from a talk given by the Vajra Regent uh, on, on the Shambhala teachings of basic goodness. Uh, and, and it was about relationships. And, and they, he said, uh, one of the, they said, can you give me some advice? And he said, well, you know, I, I didn't read this in a book, uh, but, and I think he said, I learned it from my wife, but he, but he said, what I find is really helpful. Yield if you're right. Huh. If you think you're right, yield in the in the argument and he said and you know if you're certain that you're right it should be easier to yield and do it gracefully because you're not taking it personally but you can you can yield you can give the territory away you can say well you know you could be right uh, one of one of the things you know, two people remember things differently always, and we usually go to no, that's not what you said. Yes, it is. I remember distinctly saying it. Well, I remember distinctly you not saying that. You said something else. But what if you said okay, you said that I said something else. What if you said okay, I don't remember you saying that. See, that's then it sort of becomes you you take responsibility. I don't remember you saying that. And then then you give space for the other person to be gracious too. And they say, well, maybe I didn't, maybe I'm remembering it wrong too. Ah, now you get along. As opposed to I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. So if you think you're right, yield. Now, um, Thank you all so much. Uh, that was that was a lot. I hope that was fun, and I love doing this with my sister and with all of you. It's really it's a great joy. What we do want to do as part of our practice is to share this, have the intention that we're not just doing this for ourselves. So uh, I like to recite uh, something at the end of any practice or study session. And you can repeat after me if you'd like, in whatever words you want. Uh, and it's in three parts. Um, may the practice and study we have just done be of benefit to others as well as ourselves. And you can do that after every practice. And, and if you feel like you, you feel pretty generous or you want to cultivate generosity, you can say, may the practice I've just done be of even more benefit to others than to myself. So thank you, Andrew. We, we, we did have a question about um, piano uh, that you can see in the chat uh, that would be wonderful if you would address next time. It's uh, about the, how the senses work together. Can you see it in there? Looking for it. Birgit. Birgit wrote it. Oh, okay. Yeah, Andy, if you can set, if you can set, um, maybe copy, you save that for me. Um, and we'll do that at the start of next class. Let's do it. I think okay. that was lovely.
Come on, we do the we we have a new thing now where we unmute everyone so everyone could say that's goodbye. Right. So I'll just ask everyone to unmute and we can all that's say goodbye. Bye. Bye everybody. Bye, bye everybody. Bye. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.